maybe the most poignant uh, moment in the movie. Uh, we met the stranger earlier in the movie. Uh, Kevin had some preconceived ideas about him, some thoughts about him and his past. We find out at this point in the movie um, that he's lonely like Kevin is lonely. Like there are things that Kevin didn't know about this person, which is, which is a good reminder as we move through the Christmas season that the people that you and I encounter, we just seldom know everything that's going on in their life. We seldom know everything that is behind their eyes. We seldom know all of the, the tension they're dealing with or the hurt they're dealing with or the disappointment they're dealing with. And, and at, at Christmas, as in the movie, uh, Christmas often highlights those sort of tensions and conflicts and hurts and disappointments specifically in our families. Right? It, it just surfaces all of that. Often things that we can ignore during the rest of the year, we, we find it fairly easy to brush aside. It's not as easy to ignore those things uh, at Christmas. You, know, you can avoid certain topics. You can avoid certain conversations. You can avoid certain people throughout most of the year, but for many of us, at Christmas specifically, uh, we're, we're together. We have to face what's happening in our families. And all of the wrapping paper and bows and lights and decorations don't fully hide all of that. Right? For, for good or for bad, families find themselves in the same space every Christmas, bumping into each other, personalities bumping into each other, expectations bumping into each other, attitudes, emotions bumping into each other, past bump, bumping into each other, for good or for bad. Families are together this time of year. And for some of us, that's a very comforting thought. Uh, the idea that we're going to all be together, we're going to spend time together, maybe extended time, maybe a couple of days, we're all going to be together, we're going to catch up on each other's lives, what's been happening with each other. For some of us, that is a very healthy thought, that is a very healthy idea. We can't wait, we are excited, we're going to talk about all that happened the past year, we're going to talk about our expectations for the new year. This person's going to be graduating and they're getting married and this person's having a baby and we're looking forward to that. Maybe, maybe planning your family vacation together. Hey, we're all going to get back together. And, and, and for some of us, we, we leave that time of being together as an extended family and, and we think this was great. We, we should do this more often. We we shouldn't wait till next Christmas to get back together. We, we have that feeling. And, and then for others of us, uh, we, we have a completely different experience when we think about getting together with our, our family. Um, when we say, let's not wait until next Christmas to get together, we mean maybe 2025, right? If we could just... We don't have to do this every year. There's, there's, for some of us, there's, there's the sense of surviving that moment or surviving that afternoon or surviving that meal or that time. We just got to get through it. I'm going to bite my tongue. We're not going to bring up this uh, conversation. We're not going to address this issue. I just want to survive. For, for some of us, there's an overwhelming amount of stress thinking about all that we have to manage and, and maneuver 
over the next couple of weeks just to make it through. I, I, I saw someone post online this past week, it's almost time to switch my normal anxiety to my fancy holiday anxiety. And, and maybe that's some of you. Like, I got my normal anxiety, and I'm shifting gears into my fancy holiday anxiety. F family, for some of us, can do that. F family can just cause all of this tension. And probably for most of us, if we were honest, most of us would say, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle of that. There's kind of a mix of so much I'm looking forward to. I do love my family. I do like being together at the same time. There's also this other part that I'm hoping doesn't come up and I hope we don't fight about and I hope I don't have to get into conversation with that person. It, it's layered, isn't it? Family is complicated. Relationships are tricky. Uh, the, the, the neighbor said to Kevin, the way you feel about your family is a complicated thing. I think he speaks for most of us, if not all of us. The way we feel about our family, it's a complicated thing. I mean, come on, we all got crazy in our family, right? If you don't, then I need to talk to you. Because if Honestly, if you don't think you have crazy in your family, you're probably the crazy, right? The people are probably talking about you when they talk about the crazy in your family. Like I, like I often say, we all have fruits and nuts in our family tree, right? We, it's all there. Most of us, when it comes to our, our family interaction, we're, we're a mix of this anticipation that this part's wonderful and sort of this hesitation that this part's not going to be great at all. And we just got to survive it. And we just have to get through it. Then, then I think there's another subset of us that it, it's not tension and it's not conflict. And it's not personality driven. But there's a, there's a group of us, probably a large group of us, that there's a brokenness. There's an emptiness as we enter into this Christmas season. There, there's been loss over the past year or two for many of us. The, the amount of grief and loss this past year is just staggering to me. The amount of people I know that have lost someone they cared about, that have been through incredible trials and struggles. Some people are headed toward December 25th with that weight on them. There's an empty chair this morning. There's, there's somebody who won't be there. And as much as they may love Christmas, as, as much as there are aspects that they're looking forward to celebrating, there is this grief that's coming with them. Uh, for, for others, there are people who are missing who are choosing to be missing. I mean, that's the reality of some people's Christmas this year. Somebody left this year, and they're not coming back. They're, they're gone. They walked away. That Zach and the band sang that kind of Christmas tune, uh, Please Come Home. And, and for some people, that's more than just a catchy Christmas tune. It, it's the condition of their heart. They, they look at somebody that they were once close to or, or somebody they were once married to or somebody they once loved, and that person has walked away. And, and in their heart, there's this sense of, I, I wish we could try again. Or, or there's this memory of previous Christmases that seemed different, better than this one, right? That line they sang, all the fun we had last year. Like some of us come to this Christmas thinking of Christmases when things seemed better or 
seemed more complete or, or, or just seemed more like Christmas. Christmas has a way of spotlighting those hurts. And as I said, most days, most months, we, we manage it. We skirt around it, but Christmas just shines a big light. Um, like we saw in the, in the Home Alone clip, that, that broken relationship tends to loom larger this time of year. Relationships, family relationships, there, there's just a wide range of what all of us are experiencing. Right? Everything from the really healthy, really everything's great, to grief, even, even trauma, even past abuse, uh, brokenness, and loss. We bring all of that to Christmas, which I always, every year, I, I find it interesting in reading through the Christmas story, just how much of that was present in the Christmas story. It wasn't left out. It's not sanitized. Christmas story wasn't cleaned up. All the characters were not perfect role models in the Christmas story. We get the story with families at all ends of the spectrum when it comes to who they were and, and what they were dealing with. Um, the families represented in the Christmas story, they represent this wide array of experiences just like us, like we are in that story somewhere. You think about, um, Luke introduces right away Zechariah and Elizabeth. Older couple, they had prayed their whole life to have a child. They'd never been able to have a child. And an angel visits Zechariah. He was performing priestly duties. Uh, he was a righteous person. And the angel appears to Zechariah and says, your wife's going to have a child. And Zechariah is taken aback because he, he's, in his mind, it's way too late for that. Uh, this, you must have uh, messed up on the message because somebody else is supposed to get this message. But the angel says, no, it's you. It's you and Elizabeth. You're going to have a child for the first time. You've been praying for this. And Zechariah, because he didn't believe the angel, if you know the story, uh, his punishment is he's not allowed to speak for the next nine months of the pregnancy. Until the child is born, Zechariah can't say anything. Which, as I was reading it for the first time this year, I thought, is that really a punishment? Like, maybe that's a gift. I don't know if you've been around pregnant women before, but it's best just not to say anything. Right? Just my tip to you, just let her be. If you don't say anything, things will work out better for you. Maybe this was a gift to Zechariah. You're not going to say anything until the baby's born. And, I mean, can you imagine the emotion of Elizabeth and Zechariah that first Christmas? Like nothing but joy, nothing but excitement, ready for the birth of their baby. Everything was great for this couple. Then, of course, there's another couple that's going to have a baby. And their situation is far more complicated. They're not even married yet. An angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a child. And she has to explain this to her fiancé. Matthew tells it this way. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, which the birth of a child is a time to, to have joy and be excited, but it was so complicated, right? They had plans. They they had plans for a wedding. They had plans for a life together. And all of that gets interrupted. And it was great that they got this special message from an angel so that both of them believed it. But can you imagine the conversations they had with family? You wonder how much of their family and friends actually believed what they were saying. You wonder how much tension was created between Joseph and Mary and their extended families. We aren't told any of that. We, we are told that Mary lives the first three months of the pregnancy with Elizabeth, who understood the whole angel announcement. And, and, and you wonder if part of the reason was that her announcement just wasn't well received by other people. The Christmas story is full of these complicated uh, awkward conversations and family moments. And it didn't just start uh, on with the Christmas story. It started well before that. Matthew, in his um, telling of the Christmas story, he starts with the backstory of, of who Jesus was and where he came from. It's a genealogy. It's, it, it can be a little boring to read. Uh, it, it reminds me of uh, those end-of-year letters that some people send out with their Christmas card. Anybody have friends who send like the end-of-year update? This is what the kids did, and these are special accomplishments, and uh, this is what happened in my job, and what happened in my spouse's job, and this is what we're looking forward to next year. Just kind of give a recap of everything that happened. We don't do that. If you're wondering why you haven't gotten one from us, the sermons don't do that. We don't want you to know all of that about our family, actually. But some of you may, and I love them. I love getting them and catching up, especially with people I don't see a lot. I, I, I love to kind of read what's been happening in their life. Matthew, I think, sort of started that tradition with the way he starts his gospel. Matthew says, let me tell you everything that's been happening before Jesus was born. Um, and, and he starts with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? They start the list. They're the big three, kind of the, they kick off our faith in some ways. We, we call them the patriarchs of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The problem was they were liars and deceivers. Abraham and Isaac uh, lied in such a way that put their wives in great danger. Uh, they were... They were not courageous men at all. Jacob basically blows up his whole family because of his greed and his deception, ruins all kinds of relationships in his family. Ruth and Boaz are mentioned in the genealogy, uh, which is a beautiful romantic story. But Matthew also adds that Boaz's mother was Rahab, who was a prostitute and, and a liar and it wasn't even a part of the nation of Israel when we first meet Rahab. It's all of this complicated information in the backstory of the life of Jesus. In verse 6, Matthew says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Right? Whose mother had been Uriah's wife, which was a nice way of saying 
She was Uriah's wife until David used his power to force Bathsheba to come to the palace where he took advantage of her. She became pregnant, and when David found out she was pregnant, David then murdered her husband. Right? That's what it means that she used to be Uriah's wife. Yes, she used to be Uriah's wife until David killed Uriah. This is the backstory of Jesus. Once we get to Solomon, we get this list of the kings of Israel, like Rehoboam and Abijah and Asa and Jehoshaphat, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh. We get this long list of weird names that we don't always know how to pronounce. But if you go back and read First and Second Kings, you find out that many of these kings were awful people, just awful people. If you remember the description of some of the kings that said they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, many of these kings got that designation. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They weren't good people. Uh, some of them were, were sadistically evil, awful, awful people. And, and at, at some point, you, you want to say to Matthew, you know, if you ever get a chance to see Matthew in heaven, like, you didn't have to tell us all of that. Like you could have kept some of that to yourself. Too much information. Uh, don't, don't put everything out there that way. But I think Matthew felt like we did need that information. We didn't know that, we, we didn't need to know that Jesus came from brokenness and heartache and tension and conflict and struggle so that we would realize that whatever heartache and tension and conflict and struggle we face today, Jesus is enough. Sam Albury is a, a pastor and a writer. And I, he posted this week, the family Jesus comes from anticipates the family he's come for. The family he's come from with all of its brokenness and and sadness, and sorrow, and grief, and struggle, anticipates all of the families that were going to come after Jesus, all the families that were going to need Jesus in their life. And, and here we are, Christmas 2021, and there is a range of hurt, and brokenness, and tension, and conflict, and sorrow, and loss, but if you read the backstory of Jesus, you find all of that in the story. I mean, almost any Almost any loss or grief that you could think of, almost, uh, almost any brokenness, almost any trauma, uh, almost any story of someone being violated and taken advantage of, all of that is in the backstory of Jesus so that you and I would know He is enough for whatever is in our story today. Whatever is in our Christmas Today, he's enough. I, I believe Christ came out of the messiness of his family to step into the messiness of our family. He came out of all of that brokenness and sorrow and hurt, stepping into a world that was broken and full of sorrow and hurt so that he could be a part of your sorrow and brokenness and hurt this Christmas. We don't have to deny that it's there. We don't have to ignore it. I know for some of us, that's our defense mechanism this time of year. Our defense mechanism is, I'm just going to pretend it's not there. I'm not going to see it. I'm not going to acknowledge it. We're going to just get through it. But Jesus did not come for a pretend Christmas. 
He didn't come for a sanitized Christmas or a perfect Christmas. He came for a real Christmas. And real Christmases have brokenness and hurt in them. Here's what happens when we, when we acknowledge that, when we see that, and when we invite Christ into our Christmas, we give Him room to work in our Christmas. We, we give Him room to change, to bring peace, to, to bring hope. If we stop ignoring and, and deny, if we stop blaming, because blaming only gets us so far, right? Instead, if we invite the Christ of Christmas into our Christmas, then we give Him room to work. We give Him room to do the miraculous, the powerful, the beautiful. When the Old Testament prophet Malachi is speaking on behalf of God about the Messiah that was to come, here, here are some of the words he used. He said, see... I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their, to their parents. And in Luke, we get that same description talking about John the Baptist. John was this Elijah figure who was announcing the coming of the Messiah. And this coming of the Messiah would, in the words of Malachi, it would turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Now, theologians have a, a lot of different explanations for this, and some get very symbolic in its meaning. Uh, but I think maybe we should just take its clearest and simplest meaning this Christmas. And in its clearest and simplest meaning, Malachi's prophecy meant that the work of the Messiah has the potential to heal relationships. It has the potential to heal past and brokenness, to, to feel places, to fill places of grief, to turn hearts back towards one another. I'm not suggesting that if you just believe enough or, or pray enough or, or sing enough Christmas songs or attend enough Christmas services that, that your Christmas will just end perfectly this year. Like Everything will work out and everybody will come back together. If you've been hurt by a family member, I, I can't promise that before Christmas is over that will be renewed. What I, what I can promise is that you are not alone in what you're feeling this Christmas and that Jesus is capable, if not changing them, he's capable of changing you. He's capable of meeting you in your heart. He, he's capable of helping you be the person that brings peace to relationships this Christmas. Paul gives us a helpful word in this regard in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes... If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, as much as you're responsible for, as, as far as the words that you're going to speak this Christmas, as far as how you're going to interact in relationships, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There is only one person that you control this Christmas. And there is only one person that I control this Christmas. Paul says to that one person that you control, to the one person that I control, Paul says, as far as it goes for that person, 
Live at peace this Christmas and all year long. You be the one that brings peace this Christmas. Bring peace this Christmas. Determine that in spite of what else may be swirling in your family, in your relationships, that you will be the one, as far as it depends on you, who lives at peace this Christmas. We call Jesus. He is described by the Old Testament prophet as the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And whether that peace works itself out in all of your relationships or not, it can work itself out in you. It can work itself out in your heart, in your attitude, in your relationship to another person. We celebrated the Lord's Supper earlier in the service, which is a reminder that Jesus came to bring peace where there is brokenness. He came to bring hope where there is grief and loss and trauma. Second thing. Not only bring peace this Christmas, but let me encourage you to make the first move this Christmas. You make the first move. In the clip that we saw, as Kevin is talking to the older gentleman, he says to him, you need to make the call. Uh, Apparently, whatever the conflict was that happened years before, no one had spoken the father was waiting for the son to call. The son's waiting for the father to call. Someone needed to make the first move. Maybe that's you this Christmas. Maybe your role is to make the first move. I'm not promising that it heals all of the conflicts that are out there. But if you and I determine to be bringers of peace who will make the first move, then maybe Jesus will be at work. Make the first move when it when it comes to saying, I'm sorry, when it comes to offering forgiveness, when it comes to bringing the temperature down. Maybe your role this Christmas is to go first, not wait for someone else to go first, but for you to go first. One more thought. Having peace this Christmas may mean allowing Christ to bring it to you first. Finding time and space in this Christmas season to be alone with God, that He would do a work of peace in your heart, to receive the peace that Christ wants to give you. In Colossians, Paul makes the statement that we need to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule rule in your hearts at Christmas and all year long. But as we head into this season where there is the potential for hurt and conflict intentions to be revealed, what needs to happen first is that in my heart, peace will rule. All of the other emotions that I may feel this Christmas, the one that should rule my heart is peace. The one that should guide my heart is peace. The one that should steer all of the other feelings that I have this Christmas, all of the other memories that I have this Christmas, Paul says, let peace rule over all of that. Keep coming back to the peace that Jesus offers, not because you're ignoring something, not because you're ignoring the messiness of Christmas or relationships or conflict, but because Jesus has given you peace and made you a peacemaker. It is possible. The Prince of Peace has come. It is possible 
to be a person of peace this Christmas. Let's be those people. Would you pray with me? I want to ask you, just as we wrap up, before you rush into whatever is next for you, before you rush off to the next event, the next gathering, the, to do more shopping, check some more things off your to-do list, just in the quietness of this moment. Receive the peace that Jesus wants to give you. And Before you can be a peacemaker in your relationships, in your family, you have to be at peace with Christ. There, there are far too few still moments at Christmas. Let this be that. A still moment where you allow peace to rule in your heart. God, I pray you would come. You would visit our hearts. No two situations are alike this morning. No two families are exactly alike. Some are healthy and strong and love abounds. Others are struggling. Some are grieving. Most of us are a mix of so many different emotions this Christmas. Help us to experience peace. The peace of Jesus the peace, the Bible says, is beyond explanation. It's, it's beyond our understanding. We, we couldn't explain it or diagram it. We, we don't know how it works. We just need it. We need your peace so that we can then, in turn, be people of peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.